to the message of the morning. And um, we don't have a teaching sheet today, but we are going to be looking at um, a few passages of Scripture. And you may want to go ahead and uh, be ready to look at Genesis chapter 18, because that's where we're going to launch into this message on this Pentecost Sunday. And um, before we begin, though, I do want to make um, a couple of announcements and then offer a word of prayer for some folks who are in need. I do want to thank all of you for praying so diligently over the past couple of months for the, the members of our congregation each day, and then over these last two weeks, the various outposts of the saints around the world. Uh, that has been a great blessing, and it's a good thing for us to have done that and to continue to do it as the Lord directs. The um, testimony in regard to that was I was privileged to speak with Pastor Luciano from Sao Paulo this past week, and um, while he was faithful to be translating for me, but I report to you that all of the members of his congregation and the congregations that he's aware of are all healthy and well. And so, you know, Brazil has been known as the hotspot of this COVID virus recently. And it's just a wonderful testimony to hear from our, um, our brother down there that God is truly faithful to his word and he's covering them. So thank you for your prayers. We were praying for Brazil last week as well as a couple of other uh, very important places in the world. But just know that God is with our brothers and sisters and just as he is with you. I also had the privilege of speaking with um, Pastor Pam Scott this past week from West Virginia. And we were making some plans regarding what we're going to do in lieu of the postponed gathering that was supposed to occur there in Morgantown at the campus of University of West Virginia and in East Liverpool, Ohio. We are going to be having on that Saturday morning, June 13th, uh, a number of live stream messages that uh, the folks that were going to be in attendance can tune in, and uh, we welcome you. We'll be saying more about that next Sunday, or um, yeah, next Sunday. Um, still putting some pieces in place for that. But we are praying this evening for West Virginia and Ohio. This is the seventh month of what we've been doing on the last Sunday of the month for the last six months. And we're believing that God is pouring out his spirit upon those sons and daughters that he is calling to come alongside and to stand on behalf of the work of the Lord as saints. And so even though we don't have a prayer class here tonight, I do encourage my congregation and those that are um, parts of the Saints Network, if the Lord leads you, to be in prayer for what God wants to do there in that region, and especially to, um, to position us to partner with what He is releasing in these, uh, in these days, these end times. And my goodness, we are, we are in that. And especially leading up to the election that's coming in November. So don't forget to be in prayer. This is a very important time this, on this Pentecost Sunday, this seventh month of prayer, um, this last Sunday of the month. And um, 
I believe God has heard our prayers and is hearing them still. And he has asked for these and he is going to use them mightily for the kingdom. Again, being the last Sunday of the month, this is the last Sunday of the fifth month. So the last two months we've been joining together according to the Old Testament mandate of the fast of feasting, the fourth and fifth month. And we've been laying things before God that perhaps was some measure of bitterness maybe in our lives or some measure of unresolved emotional conflict. And the importance of that is not just for us to be um, more more level-headed in our emotions, more, um, more free of the bondage of unforgiveness or where we may have allowed iniquities to take the place of, of function. But the main reason we do this is so that we can align ourselves with what God wants and so that we don't position ourselves on the battlefield with huge vulnerabilities within our lives. That's what should be happening every time we come before communion, and this is Communion Sunday too, when we observe what was represented in the bitter sop, that when we receive the fresh word from God and we are empowered by his blood, that we don't allow some thing within us to rob us of the power of moving forward or to make ourselves vulnerable to an enemy attack. You know, I don't know how many times over the years I've seen as a pastor where God's doing a thing and then all of a sudden we're ready to move and iniquities start popping up and people start reacting or overreacting. And you think, boy, the enemy didn't really have to work very hard on this to stop us. I mean, all he did was push a button in somebody and they go wheels off. So God wants us to keep our wheels on, and he wants us to, to be cleansed and to be, be made ready. And that's one of the reasons when the Lord was talking about when you're giving your offering or you're giving your, your sacrifice, you go first to anybody that you have ought against, and um, you make that right. And the main reason is so that we are not hindered we are not hindered before the Lord. I used to hate those services where, you know, the pastor would preach on, you know, if you have on against somebody, you go to that one. Because there'd be people coming up to you, telling you what a so-and-so you were. <laughs> they get it off their chest and dump it all over yours. And so many times I'd be a recipient back before I was pastoring. Now, you know, I just look for it. But back before I was pastoring, you know, I'd have somebody come up to me and I'd think, I never even knew I did that. In fact, in retrospect, I don't really think I'm the one at fault there. So I used to, didn't like those services, but the main thing was, for us, you've got to be right before God. You can't be clenching your fist at somebody at the same time you're lifting that hand before the Lord. And um, so... I pray on this last Sunday of this fifth month that you would go before the Lord at the culmination of these two months and say, Father, I've laid everything down that I possibly can remember 
that I may have not been processing places where bitterness has taken root in me. And I ask your cleansing, and if there's anything further, as David said, see if there be any wicked way in me. I, I just ask you to, uh, to help me and point that out so I can get it out. You know, it's funny how this isn't the message today. I wasn't intending to say this. I've got a message, and you're going to get it, I'm telling you. But even when we started to um, teach our people about prophecy and how to, how to prophesy, covet to prophesy, and it's not, thus saith the Lord, Jesus is coming soon, get ye ready, but ministering through that gift, you know, even on Pentecost Sunday, your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so often in the movement I came out of, we gave lip service to prophecy. But if anybody actually started to prophesy, they would put up the finger trying to, they're trying to cast you out because you're into the new age or something. Well, one of the problems we faced when people would prophesy is so often, so often, not always, um, the prophecy coming from a person was always echoing through the caves of unforgiveness in their own life. Or they would, they would say a word, they would perceive something, but they would perceive it through the fingerprints on the lenses of their heart. And they saw in everybody else the things that hurt them. And so it's important that we are clean before the Lord so that we can properly hear from Him and reflect who He is, that our vessel is not dirty. God can't pour the fresh wine into an old wineskin, and he won't give fresh water into a filthy bottle any more than we would drink out of that. You know, we deal with that in my house all the time. I think something's clean, and Katie points it out. That's not clean, so we have a little discussion about it, you know. So, um, but anyway... Um, let, let this day be a day where we are cleansed before God in reflection of where we've been the last two months of the fast of feasting. And as we do that, let's also be releasing what God wants to accomplish and what he is going to accomplish in the Northeast, in particularly Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. That's what we've been praying for on the last Sunday of the last six months, and this being the seventh. So let's not come up to this one and forget about this seventh month. Let's press into the truth and sonship that God wants to release into those hungry people. Uh, next Sunday, I hope you're still listening. Um, next Sunday, we're actually going to have church here. So we will open up for Sunday morning, and if you want to come to church, you can come. We, we will have both Sunday school and church here in the sanctuary. So if you're used to praying during Sunday school, don't get out of joint with me, because then you'll have to be free from bitterness. There's plenty of other places you can pray, you know, you can pray in 
youth room. You can pray in Peace Chapel. You can pray in the chambers. And you can seek the Lord there. And uh, if the worship team comes into Peace Chapel and when they're ready to go, will you just gracefully get up and move to another place? But we'll be having service next Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to start slowly. So we're not going to throw it open for all the other things that we normally do. I don't anticipate that we will have children's ministry next Sunday. So don't expect that. Sunday school and the main service here in the sanctuary. So we'll be sending, I'll be sending an email out sometime this week to try to detail uh, some of the things that we're asking according to the CDC guidelines. Now, again, I'm believing the Lord. I'm, I'm not in fear, but I also recognize that we live in a society that, man, you got people yelling at each other in the grocery store if somebody's not wearing a mask. So I'm not going to try to present over the international airwaves um, something that will open us up to ridicule. Okay? So we're not going to be, I almost, I don't know if I can use that word. We're not going to be uh, overt with our enforcement, but we'll be sending an email out with some suggestions, and we're going to do our very best to follow them. But next Sunday, you're welcome to come to church, the first Sunday in June. And again, Sunday school will be in here in the sanctuary, not in the youth room. And uh, the main service will also be in here. Okay? So, a lot of announcements. My goodness, I, I feel like I need to sip some tea out of my Yeti just to, just to gain some strength. Um, before we begin our message from Genesis 18, I feel like we need to um, pray and... Uh, particularly ask the Lord to bring a measure of healing or strengthening to any member of our congregation or those who may be joining us from a distance who might need healing. You know, we got a word earlier this morning when service had started that uh, one of our dear members, Stacy McGill, is needing a touch in her body today. And so I speak to you, Stacy, that the fire of the Lord will come upon you and that it will cleanse your your lungs and cleanse your bronchial tubes and that you just be free amazingly better and better hmm? Beverly I thought it was Stacy McGill I'm sorry well Stacy we pray that blessing on you too I didn't read it off mine Beverly let be free be free in Jesus name and may the strength of the Lord be upon you. And may you be absolutely delivered from this uh, respiratory challenge that's, that's come against you. And Father, I ask you for any other person who's watching this broadcast, that there would be freedom and health. And um, that your touch would be upon them even now. And we thank you for this, Father. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
One of the lessons of Pentecost is that no matter what's going on, no matter what may be the um, predominant hustle and bustle within a city or a society, the most important thing that we can do is stay focused on what God has told us to do and what we're believing Him for. And over and over again in the Scripture, we have instances where God just insists that we, as Pastor Fabian was saying earlier, remain steadfast on behalf of what our message is and what he has asked us to do. And in fact, on Pentecost, the original Pentecost Sunday, where the, the church was born that Sunday, um, the people were in one accord. And uh, they were in the upper room. They were continuing in prayer and supplication in obedience to what God had commanded them to do. And they were in one accord. And that word means not just a mental agreement, but they had one passion. That's uh, homo thumos is what it is. And um, they, they, they kept that passion burning. And I almost preached this morning upon not being shaken and the, the issue of none of these things move me. Um, but there's been a shaking over these past couple of months, and I just pray for my congregation here that with all of the things that our nation and our city have endured, and we have endured them, that we would be... Uh, as committed to what God has given us to do as we ever were, and that that accord would not be sifted away or um, forgotten about. And as I said on a number of occasions over the years, the 500, the good message would be what happened to the 500 because the 500 people or so that watched Jesus ascend into heaven all heard this directive from Jesus and from the angels. By the time Pentecost came around, there were only 120 there. So 75% drop kicked and left. And um, I pray that we will remain constant. They, those that were in the upper room were in one accord, not just mental ascent, but so often we, we limit that in our English discussion to say, oh, yeah, they were in agreement. You know, we're, we're in accord. Do we have an accord? Yes, we do. We're in agreement. But it really what it was, they were all in one passion. And you can be in agreement about something and not really be passionate about it. You know, I can agree that it would be good if God did this and this and this. Oh, yeah, we agree that too. But to be passionate about it? That's the question. And that passion not only fueled their prayer and supplication, which it says in Acts 1.14 was being offered, but it also, that prayer and supplication, fueled the passion. And I pray that my congregation is still faithful in prayer. I, I have no way of knowing that. And I suspect as I prayed that that may be a little bit taxed, a little bit wavering. You know, that's the problem when you're, you're sequestered and you, you, you maybe fall into bad patterns. 
And we've tried day after day to keep, keep it stoked, whether it's the word of exhortation from the network or valley prayer exhortation or music Monday or the messages or whatever else. But essentially, those are just primers to keep you going. I was asked the other day, what is a primer? And that's an old English word that was used, you know, the New England primer. And, you know, those, those things were supposed to be helping people to learn the Word of God and helping people to remember to pray. It was a starter. And they even then used that word to speak about gun, shooting guns. You know, you had to have a primer to, to explode the, um, the, the gunpowder. And even you, before you paint, you put primer on, or you should at least, if you're going to be painting metal. And then after that primer, you, you use regular paint. And so, but the point is, though, that we can primer you up all we can, but if you don't have that shared passion, um, it's not really going to do any good. And that's the beauty of what was in Pentecost. Yeah, they were, they were there. They didn't have a timetable. They were just waiting, and they were, they were praying. And, um, but they were all in one accord, one passion, and they were offering up prayer and supplication before God. And it's through that then, when God did the unusual thing that I don't think any of them were expecting, how he moved, Peter then stood up and said, this is that. And he referenced Joel. He referenced Joel too. And he talked about that. And I think that some of us may have stood up and said, this is that which Isaiah spoke about with... Uh, an unknown tongue and stammering lips, I'll speak to this people. But Peter didn't say that, did he? That would have been the easy word for anybody who studies the Scripture because that would have seemed more applicable to what was going on there. But instead, he went to the heart of the matter, not just the moment, not just the, the, um, the display that the Spirit was releasing, but the essence of what it was to be. And so that this is that from Peter undoubtedly came through understandings of what they were praying in prayer and supplication in that upper room. And so that's what we've been trying to, with all of our heart, to, to seek before God. Not just reacting to every fresh mandate that's coming down from the government or from this person or that person not just to overreact or react to whatever this crisis is or that crisis. God knows we've had enough of them. We've got a fresh one that's going on. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really am sorrowful for what our African-American saints, our brothers and sisters, must experience whenever they hear something like what happened to George Floyd occurred. And um, I, I know that I know that through this, perhaps uh, there is going to be a continued scrutiny of those who wear the badge. Um, that if there are any bad apples there, or anyone who is just overtly racist, and from what I read, even early, early this morning, there were indications that the gentleman who effected this harsh life taking um, maneuver 
There were indications that he had displayed this type of tendency before. And so perhaps without going on a witch hunt, if there are those who are in departments who display this kind of thing, maybe they can be, maybe they can be uh, pointed out. And you, you, know, you might expect what happened in some parts of the country, certainly not in the People's Republic of Minnesota, but that's where it happened. So again, I'm not going full bore race relations here, but what I'm saying is that we as the saints, whether we're African Americans, whether we're of whatever nationality, um, we're believing God to do what he promised. And the most important thing that's going to happen in the African American community in the year that's coming is God has promised over the years an awakening of his spirit that that mighty army of the African American churches will turn their hearts to God and be uh, a tremendous vessel of the moving of his spirit. That's what we're believing for. And I, I remember praying uh, with uh, a number of African American leaders in the Saints Network many years ago at the Lincoln Memorial and calling that forth. And in so many other places, I remember standing in, um, in State College, Pennsylvania, Pastor McKenzie's church there with Rick Ranney and so many of our brothers and sisters, and standing in agreement for that type of move of his spirit to come. And it is coming. And I think that the enemy would like to bring urgencies and emergencies and iniquities and distractions and outrages and all kinds of other things to keep distracting from what God is wanting to do. I'm, I believe that God is sending that visitation of his spirit even now. And it's, it's almost akin to what happened when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and there was all that hullabaloo going on and the little boy was writhing on the ground and trying to throw himself into fire and the father was weeping and you know, everybody's pointing fingers. These other nine disciples, they couldn't do anything. We went to them. And, you know, it was, it was an enemy attempt to block the transformation that God was wanting to bring. And so I speak a word of comfort to all of our brothers and sisters um, throughout the whole Saints Network, but particularly to our African-American brothers and sisters that we love you, and you know that, and we're standing with you, uh, believing for what our Father wants to have happen. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. One of the most wonderful things that we've encountered over the past couple of years is being able to minister in, in Brazil. And the same thing could happen in Europe or in Africa or wherever else God's led us to go. But... In so many of those places, the same history, the same life experience is not in the, the people who migrated from Africa. And it's just so fun to watch the way God is moving in churches and in groups of people that are, you want to talk integrated, it, it, that's not even a good word. It's just an amalgamation. And I'm believing that God is going to stir and pour out his spirit upon the, the, the mighty giant that is the African-American church here in this country. And so that's 
That's the essence of what I'm believing for. Yeah, what happened up in Minnesota should never happen. But it did happen. And I pray that somehow God will allow there to be a continued change within law enforcement. And we bless the men and women of uh, the police departments around our nation. I thank God for them. But they shouldn't be judged as a whole on the basis of what some individual does that is, that is just outrageous. And um, so may the Lord bring healing and may, may there be, uh, uh, may just in, in the country in general, God is doing a mighty work. What he's promised is coming in an amazing way. And the eyes and the attention of our nation have been just riveted here and riveted there and riveted every other place. And in the still small voice, God is saying, I am going to do something. I've told you this. Be in remembrance of it and partner with me. That's the message of Pentecost. It's not the fire because the fire goes out. I mean, at least the visible fire. You don't find anywhere else in the New Testament where tongues of fire were seen on people's heads. Even in Ephesus, even in Cornelius' house, where the Spirit fell on us is at the beginning. You don't have any reference to that. That was a one-off. But it indicated what goes on in the spirit realm. And that's what we need to keep our eyes on. What's happening in the spirit realm. And never forget that, because the natural will always be in enmity with that. And so we cannot lose sight of what God is, is, is really doing and what he's promised us. And so that's a message of Pentecost, and that's, that's really what we're going to look at now in the father of all who walk in faith, Abram, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 17. And that verse says, And Yahweh said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? We're going to talk about that here in a moment, but we want to set the stage for it. Um, Abram was basically 100 years old. I mean, he's in his upper 90s. At that point, let's just say 100. And that, that's, that's getting up there. But the promise that God gave about he and Sarah having a child had not yet happened. And what you see in the end of chapter 17 is that at, at this age, um, Abram, at 99 years old, was commanded to be circumcised. And Ishmael, his son through his... Um, his dealings with Hagar also was circumcised. And all that were born in the house of the, of the males in Abram's contingent were all circumcised. And, um, and then you come into chapter 18, and here is Abram at the tent door, Abraham, uh, in the plains of Mamre. Now, we don't know how much time passed between this circumcision 
And, you know, actually, before that, God was very specific with Abram. And he said, Sarah, your wife, is going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Isaac. All of that was just said. And um, then the circumcision time comes. And then here's Abram and his wife waiting at the tent in this desert-like place. I think those moments are very significant for us because it's a continuing picture of the pattern. You have the promise of God. You have uh, a, an undetermined amount of time for each of us with whatever promise God's given. For Abraham, it was a long time, decades. And it looked like that ship had sailed from their age. I mean, you don't find very many 99-year-old guys uh, and their wife of equal age um, waiting in the waiting room at McGee, uh, the McGee birthing area down at Presbyterian Hospital. You just don't see that. But um, they, at this point, God initiates this promise of circumcision now, it's up to God, but I would think that if this was going to happen, it would have happened a lot earlier in Abram's life. You Wouldn't you think that? Why wait till the dude is 99 years old? You know, why, why would that happen? Um, I think the point for us is that Abram was about to enter into this patriarchal covenant where Isaac was going to be conceived miraculously and then born. And before that happens, there's a time of circumcision, just as going into the promised land at Gilgal, there was a time of circumcision. And I think that God has been reminding us of his promises, and God is very clear about the things he said he's going to do. Yeah, our, our retinue, our, our numbers are growing, but not to the degree that we know God has promised. And it's not about us, it's about reaching the world. Um, so we're waiting, and in some ways it looks like, boy, you, you're, maybe you're just getting too old for this. Maybe it's really not going to happen the way God promised. Maybe that was just you. In fact, a lot bought off and he was gone <laughs> he's already gone and um, here's Abram and he's blessed but the promise of God is yet largely unfulfilled and at that point there was a time of circumcision I think we've been dealing with that recently over the months over these past couple of months we've talked about how God has been speaking to us as individuals about things that were in our lives that we didn't even recognize were issues. Even things that maybe we didn't, we weren't the progenitor of, offenses and challenges, and even ways that we responded that were right. But God is revisiting the memory of those and saying, okay, this happened and this happened. It was okay at that point, but I want to show you a better way, and you need to commit that to me and ask the blood to be upon you. I'm telling you, it's, it, for a couple of weeks there, it was almost a daily 
experience where there was a new thing that God was bringing back, and even things that I'd forgotten about. Even I don't, I don't, I'm not keeping percentages or batting average, but most of them were things that I thought, well, Lord, I was with you in that. I did what you said to do. But God was touching the emotion, even though I was obeying, he was touching the emotion in me that I had to put down, and I obeyed anyway. And so even that emotion that I thought was justified, God was saying, you need to present that before me. So there's been a measure of reminding us of the promise, a measure of circumcision, and a measure of us saying, well, I know what you said, Lord, but man, 63 and 99, there's not a whole big difference. <laughs> you know, we just celebrated being here 40 years. Good grief. How, where did that time go? So it's not in, in God's economy of time. It's not going to be too much longer than I'm 99. And I'm thinking, Lord, um, I don't doubt you. I see you're moving. This year is a year of breakthrough. We've known that. We had amazing gatherings planned in many parts of the world, and those were just the beginning point. Usually the way it works with us in the past number of years, when we start the year, what we have planned is great, but then in the year, God brings other things. And so we know that God is releasing something in this year, but we were kind of suspended. And in some ways, uh, we're, we're remembering the promise of God. We're remembering those that God saw fit to separate us from. We're remembering the, uh, the things that God is causing us to receive a fresh circumcision of the flesh so that we won't be stiff-necked or that we won't be uh, reticent in our obedience to God. And here we are in the tent, in the heat of the day, waiting on God. Do you feel that way? I, I have. It's been a good time. It doesn't say Abram was sitting there suffering. I mean, he's, he's, he's doing okay. But suddenly, in the timing of the Lord, he sees three men. He says he saw them standing in 18, verse 2, Genesis 18, 2. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself toward the ground. And he recognizes that this is God. This is God incarnate who's there. And the angels are with him. And he is, he is entertaining God. He's, he's, bringing, he's washing the feet of the Lord. He's washing the feet of these angels. He has commanded Sarah to make, get some bread ready. He goes out and he finds a young man and they, they slay a, a, a calf. And um, he's going to feed this divine representation. And um, when the food all comes, it says that the Almighty's eating with them. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? I have said, and so many others have said, that during this season, with all the things that we've been mentioning, God has been, to say close would be an understatement. How wonderful is our God, and 
how marvelous his visitation daily. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And it very much is like God coming here and being with Abraham and being with Sarah. And at this point then, he reminds them of a bit of the timing. The last previous chapter, it speaks about, you know, your wife is going to bear a son. You're going to call him Isaac. I'm going to establish this covenant, and I'm going to bless Ishmael too. That was the word that they'd remembered. Now in chapter 18, God begins to give time frames, and that's interesting. And I think we need to be ready for the time frames of God. We've been waiting at the tent. We've been communing with God. How wonderful that is. Nothing wrong with that. Who could complain about that? That's wonderful. But then God starts speaking timing. And that's interesting. It was at this point that um, Sarah and she starts laughing. She says in verse 12, Am I, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure? And that word is Eden. And really what she's talking about there, I don't know why they translate it as pleasure. They should have said, it was Eden. I understand the perplexities of that. Am I going to enter into a time of courtship and, you know, those times where we were young and, you know, we were just, uh, just kids and enjoying. And they did enjoy their time together. That's what she was talking about. And, of course, I understand what it takes to produce a child, but... She was really talking more of that than the actual act. And um, it, it's interesting, wherefore did Sarah laugh? So there's something in that connection too, but we'll move on. And uh, th this is interesting because I think when God begins to speak timing to us here soon, we need to be ready to obey whatever he says. And then God gets to the business of why he came and what those angels were going to do and what they were going to do in Sodom and in Gomorrah. And there is a visitation that's coming. I can't say the timing of that. I don't know. But there is a visitation that's coming. And God is going to judge the wickedness in this land. And he's going to judge those who have pussyfooted around with it and excused it instead of saying, this is wrong, this is right. And you can, you know, you can say that without being critical. And in fact, Abram said, shall not the judge of all the world do right, of all the earth do right. And there he uses the term mishpat and Abram was saying, are, are you going to continue to do what you and your ways have established and said you're going to do? Are you, are you going to function on that regard? And of course, then the discussion was all those peradventures, you know, 50 people, and it comes down to 10 people who are interceding and waiting. A, a nation could be saved by that. And, but, but, but God is in the midst of deliberating all of this. God will not wink at sin. And, and maybe the visitation's going to come. I'm believing it's going to be part of this. Maybe it's going to come because of the visitation of the Spirit. And God 
bringing freedom to people and causing them to be whole and coming to him. That's the best visitation. And, and I'm not really talking about any particular kind of sin because we're talking Sodom and Gomorrah. You might think that I'm saying that. Listen, I can swing a prayer cloth in this city without hitting 15 or 20 different types of egregious sins. There's a lot of ways that people have left the path and are not only left the path, but are putting way stations and buckies along the path. There's sin abounding in this time where grace is much more abounding. And what we need to believe God for is a visitation, which we have been believing for. And God is going to bring people to account for the gift. Righteous Lot is going to have to answer for what he did. In fact, you read that story, and the angels that are there with him say, listen, we're going to get out of here, so you need to get your wife, you need to get your daughters, and you need to get your sons-in-law. We don't talk about the son-in-laws. We talk a lot about Lot's wife who turned and became a pillar of salt. But the son-in-laws decided not to come. And they, they thought that Lot and these angels were nuts. And so they stayed and received uh, what was coming to that city. You know, I feel badly for a lot of folks that I know who have religious disharmony within their households. I feel sorry for those that, and I, we've seen this over the years. I remember, I can give point after point, I'll just give one. There was a man and his daughter who were just mightily moved upon by the Spirit. And in the early days, they would pray. This was a, an older man, beloved, and his daughter was just precious. She grew up in this house. But that man's wife wasn't buying into it. She wasn't having any of it. And by and by, she went out, and they were gone. That's terrible. That should never happen. When God begins to move, in these days that are coming, we're going to see the Spirit do things that are going to be astounding. He's going to give everybody a chance to, to come out from among them, but some may not want to be out from among them. You know, if, if, if Lot's wife wasn't so tied to obeying him at that point in that time of history, she would probably have stayed too. I mean, that's why she was turned into a pillar of salt. But, you know, the, the sons-in-law, which you don't hear much about, they stayed in the city. And they, they were recipients of what the angels were releasing. So we need to believe that when God's Spirit begins to move, and it is going to move in an amazing way, that those households where there is a quote-unquote righteous lot would save more than just lot. You know, the Edenites and the Ammonites became a scourge against Israel because of the sin that was coming. We need to believe for, for a full visitation of the Spirit of God, and that's what's coming. But we come to the verse that we read, and it says, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Hide is a, a unique word here. Because in the Hebrew, it's kasa, K-A-S-A. 
Now, I know when I start speaking etymology that some people get their brains in a knot and they say, how can you prove that? How can you prove that? Well, I think that if you just think about what this word means, you can see how somewhere through the warp and woof of how people have developed languages that casa became what it is in Spanish. Casa means to cover. It means to fill up. It means to surround with a number of things. It can mean to become plump or fat. And it, it really was, it was used to talk about a mantle that covered someone. It was used to describe uh, things that people, when they were out in the wilderness, something that they would use as kind of a lean-to to protect them from the sun or to cover over themselves. And um, so it's very easy to see how that word could delineate into what casa means in our societies. But back to the point of why God said, shall I casa from Abraham what I'm doing? See, this is the beauty of being a saint. This is a beauty of being able to come nigh to God and be friends with God, which Abram was. And God was basically saying, I have had this, this plan and what I'm going to do under my covering for a while. It's been one of the many things that I have intended to do and it's part of my plan for blessing. And it's all there. It's, it's all there. And shall I allow Abram to see part of what I'm going to do now? I'm going to take the cover off. And I'm going to welcome him in to the depths of who I am. And I'm going to let him feel and see with me some of the things that are going to be coming. Now, how is this different from the friendship that Abram had, the, the friendship that Abram had? Um, God was telling him lots of things. God would meet him with him face to face. God would speak to him in vision and dream. He established the covenant of righteousness with Abram. And so God depicted in the father of all walk, who walk in faith this common understanding and this insight to then believe what is spoken from the right hand. That was already there. But here God says something further. I'm going to let this man come into the depth of my household. He's going to come into places that have previously been covered in my place. This is not me telling him this is going to happen. This is not me showing him something's going to happen. This is me welcoming in this man who is my friend into the depth of who I am. And that's what word God uses here. Shall I kasa? And so he, he begins to talk about his, the necessity of touching these two cities. You remember, Abram was no stranger to these cities. Abram, when he met Melchizedek, had just gone to war to free the leaders of these cities, including the city Zoar, which the angels wanted 
Lot to go up into the mountain, and Lot was too scaredy cat to go up there. I guess he didn't have his, his uh, outdoor pack with him, and he pleads to be able to go to Zoar. Abram was not uh, a stranger to any of these places. In fact, they existed, arguably, because Abram had delivered them from oppressors. And Melchizedek came. Remember, You remember the story. And they were celebrating his victory with, that allowed these people to go on. But that visitation of God, even that deliverance of Lot, didn't change the city. And I think God is not going to come and um, do what he's going to do in the near future just cold. I mean, he's been dealing with people. He's been speaking to people. He's been speaking, messen sending messengers. But there is a visitation coming. And I think God, in fact, I know that God is in this business of taking us in to the deep places, places of who he is. I think that's why he's been showing us so much in greater detail the aspects of the heavens and the aspects of what the scriptures say go on there and giving us explanations not weaving together a coat of leaves and saying it's what God's doing like Adam and Eve would have done, but really seeing accurately the heart of God and what, why he's doing what he's doing. This has been being developed, and this is what the pattern is of what God does. And I think on Pentecost Sunday, this same pattern was known. He told the people, I'm going to do something. I'm sending the promise of the Father. I want you to go and I want you to pray. Be in one passion before me. And I want you to commune with me in grace and supplication, in prayer and supplication. And, um, and I think I, I want you to just wait on my timing. And when Pentecost fully came and that outpouring came, Peter stood up and again, he didn't quote the easy mark of, of Isaiah with, with the stammering lips and an unknown tongue. He went right to the heart of the matter, the promise of the Father. He went to Joel too, and he spoke about that outpouring, the fivefold giftings, and he spoke about what is coming. That is yet to be fully fulfilled, fully fulfilled. That is yet to be accomplished in the, in the fullness of what God wants. It's not just about speaking in tongues. And I, I, I remember growing up in a Pentecostal church. I remember being filled with the Spirit as, an, as a young teenager. And at that point, have you received with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Yeah, I spoke in tongues. That's great. But the problem was there wasn't a whole lot of teaching of what actually goes on there when you pray in tongues and what God is wanting to do through it. And I believe that God is wanting to visit not just an outpouring of his spirit, but an outpouring of meaning of what that is. It's not just about speaking in tongues. It's about going through that doorway of partnering with God, praying his mysteries, communing with him face to face about what he wants to do. And that, that's a large part of the message of the saints. That's what we teach around the world. And that's what we will continue to do. But the point is, is that there are a lot of people who say they're that way already who have no clue of what it really means. I know. I was trained in it. I lived it for decades. I know. I've been there. So I believe that God is not hiding things from his people today. 
And in that, he's taking us into the midst of his covering. He's taking us into the midst of the deeper places in him. And that's really where we are right now. Yeah, God has reminded us of his promises. Yes, God has been leading us through measures of circumcision of our hearts and of the flesh in our lives in this season. Yes, God has come and he is meeting with us and we're communing with him. Yes, God is now speaking about timing. And yes, God is showing us the deeper things. Not just about what he says, but who he, who he is. And that's where we are. And that's what we have to have. And we need to continue to believe in prayer. We need to continue to believe. You know, Abram was talking about, um, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he goes through the 50, and he goes on down the line. And God, um, God's entertaining that. Shall there be 40? Shall there be 30? Shall there be 20? Shall there be 10? Uh, maybe there's some chronological measure of that. I don't know for what's coming. But the end point, though, through it all is that we just need to be in the heart of God and we need to trust that in our intercession that God's going to do what He's going to do. And in retrospect, you go back through the point, and I'm almost done. You go back through the point that Sodom and Gomorrah was not, they were not ignorant of who Abram was. They were not ignorant of who Melchizedek was. They were not ignorant of who Lot was. And sadly, it seems like Lot's wife and his daughters and his sons-in-laws were becoming more akin to being citizens of, Lot, of Sodom than they were uh, the, uh, the offspring and the, the contingent of those who walk in faith. But be that as it may, God's going to do what he's going to do. And I, I reiterate, and I go back through the points on this Pentecost Sunday. He's reminded us of what he said. We should be in one accord. We should be in one passion over that. And you need to test your heart to see over this season, have you, have you become... As things have shaken, have you fallen off the cliff? Or has that shaking only served to secure your resolve? God reminded Abram of what that promise was. Abram at 99 years old. Man, if anybody had a place to be shaken, even just at 99, just standing, he was probably shaking some. But, you know, can you remember what God has said? And God says to him, I'm gonna, you're going to have a child. You're going to name him Isaac. And then the circumcision covenant comes. And then they're waiting there. And then God comes and communes. And then God speaks to them about the timing of when this child is coming. We need to be listening for that. And then God says, I'm going to bring him to the casa point. I'm going to show him under the covering of my mantle. I'm going to reveal myself in ways that are deeper than ever. But there is a visitation of the Spirit coming. And we need to be ready for it. How do we be ready? By following this pathway that Abram felt, followed. And I think on this Pentecost Sunday, we need to ask again, God, help me to remember what you have said, what you have promised. 
Yeah, others have forgotten. Others have gone away doubting. We bless them. But we remain in prayer and in supplication. And we're holding fast to what you have said. And we're waiting on the timing. You're about to reveal it. But we need to stay there as God opens the covering and lets us come and know him in a deeper way. Can we do that? I pray that we will, because this is where we are. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the way that you've been with us over these months. This has been a strange season, but a good season. I thank you for the way that you've watched over us and protected us, and you continue to do that. I thank you for the promises that you've given and the prophetic insights of what you are going to do. We thank you for that. And we look forward in the intervening days now as we enter into a new phase of what we're, we are as a church here in Dallas, as we begin to initiate service again here in, in, in on site. God bless us, but let us not forsake that covenant partnership that you called us to be as saints. Our individual identities, the identity of this house, the identity of the houses of the saints, let us hold fast to that. And I pray, God, that on this day when we pray for our country and we pray for the leadership of our country, and we pray for the region of uh, West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, and what that, that part of our land and our continent holds, we proclaim your blessing. And we pray, God, that peace would reign. And all of the, all of the things that have occupied the attentions of mankind would be quelled and calmed now so that we can hear your voice and move with you. Don't let anyone miss this privilege. Bring healing to this land. But most importantly, bring the visitation of your spirit that you've promised and that we believe for. Father, thank you for this. I speak blessing over all of the saints, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, again, members of the Father's Church, watch for an email this week. Don't forget to pray today, West Virginia, Ohio, and PA. And uh, yes, uh, we have communion here in the house. And I, I, um, I know that many of you prepared for um, what, um, what we were going to do today at your house. And so I'm going to invite those who are here, which is my family and Scott. <laughs> Scott's our family. We are adopting him in. We brought cookies to him today. He's well and he's well and blessed. We are going to come and receive this as a as a token of entering into the new to the new day. And um, I, I wonder if you all would like to come and. Kelly wants to get that position. Somebody's going to have to, I guess, take something up to Scott. Or he's going to come down. Okay, that's great. Fabian will come down. Won't this be fun?
Father, bless this bread. Don't spill that. Bless this wine or Welch's grape juice. And bless us as we enter into the new, the new uh, thing that God is doing. I'm sorry. Grandpa's watching those communion cups. And uh, okay, good. So for those who are partaking at home, we speak a new season of the commune with you, Father, your word. Let us be what the, we are to be in the body of Christ. And let us be totally free of whatever bitterness that would hold us back in this season to come. Through your power, let that be. And let the blood of Jesus be upon us to protect us, to empower us, to invigorate us. And we thank you for this, Father, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake together. We bless you there in your house as you partake. May the goodness of the Lord be with you. Amen.